0: The title of my, my sermon is Love's Merit System. You know, the Olympics started last night. It's it's against all odds that they are doing the Olympics, and you know, the Japanese are are incredibly, incredibly paranoid about COVID because a lot of the population is elderly. There's more octogenarians and nonagenarians and centarians in Japan. And so they are extremely vulnerable to this virus. And so one of the precautions that they are taking is that they will not have any live audience. So you'll see them on TV, there will be sound, but there will not be audience. But it's, it's so fitting, though, to me, uh, I know there's many detractors and there's so many naysayers, but to bring the best of each of our countries and to play and pause for this week's uh, in the name of peace, despite the adversity and despite the circumstances, uh, I personally, you, you might not agree with me, but I, I wholly support our athletes going there. And I wish them well and the best of luck in defeat or in victory. Because um, they are so dedicated to their craft. And they are overcoming fear to show the world what they have accomplished. And, and this, is, this is the thing about our world, right? Our world works on... worldly system. We work on merit. We admire people who run as fast as the wind, 100 meters in under 10 seconds. We admire people who can lift 500 pounds of weight or jump so long, run 10,000 miles, 10,000 meters. But the the motto of the Olympics is what? Higher, stronger, faster. These are our heroes. Physically, they are gifted. In other parts of the world, the last four weeks has been significant for humanity. You know that. We have two people who have privately funded to go to space. I, we, we all can't afford that. But they were ex- able to experience zero gravity for a few minutes, which would be, I think, that would be awesome. On the other side of the political spectrum, we have leaders. They're there because we elected them. They have a lot of influence. They have a lot of power. We have a lot of wealthy people, billionaires. They say Jeff Bezos, even with a divorce, is worth over a hundred billion dollars. We can, I cannot fathom or cannot imagine that sum of money. But a lot of people admire them. We have celebrities. They have talk shows, they have movies, they have concerts. We admire all these people. That is the world's merit system. then we go to the Bible, and we go to Jesus. Let's open our Bibles. It's in Matthew, chapter 20, verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1. One of the things that I meditate about preparing a sermon together is that you witness how amazing and how masterful Jesus is at teaching. And in this, in Matthew 20, from verse 1 to verse 16, he talks about a parable. Now, this is a parable that's unique to Matthew. And then after the parable, Jesus does not explain the different elements, like the sower. Remember where he defines the seeds, the ground, all that. There is many interpretations from scholars about what this parable means. But I will suggest to you what I believe this parable and the answer is there if you look at this parable if you look at it just by itself right we say yeah you know there's a landowner there are laborers they represent God and us there's a vineyard that needs work the labor the mission there's rewards But to me, the answer to this parable, the interpretation of this parable, comes way before that. Actually, it's a method that Jesus uses time and time again to teach. I've tried to copy this. Uh, Sometimes when I teach medical students, one of the best ways you want to teach a concept is what you call case studies. You get a patient, you let the medical student interview the patient. They tell you the patient's story, why they came to the hospital. They tell you their symptoms, their signs, all their things. And then you come up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. And you know what? If you ask any medical student, they will forever remember that case. Because you remember the story. And Jesus uses this exact moment. What he does is he, there's two real cases. There's one before and there's one after the parable. So that the parable is boxed in. The story actually of the parable of the workers in the vineyard in this Matthew twenty one to sixteen starts in Matthew nineteen sixteen. It ends in Matthew twenty twenty eight. So let me present to you the two case studies. We all know this. In verse 16 of chapter 19, it starts, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? A very profound question. Not since creation did God grant eternal life to human beings. And the Bible teaches in the Old Testament that when Jesus comes, he will bring everybody, all the faithful, to have eternal life. Immortality. And verse 17, Jesus answered, Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one He's referring to God, who is good. If you want to enter life that is eternal life, obey the commandments. The young man said, which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man answered in verse 20, all these I've kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, Jesus said, come and follow me. The story goes, when the young man heard this, He went away sad because he said he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples heard this in verse 25. They were, the word that's used is greatly astonished. Why would this be an astonishing, or why would they be astonished? Because the question that they ask, who then can be saved? Now, uh, back in those times, if if you're wealthy, well-to-do, it is automatically assumed that you go to heaven. You are favored and blessed by God with wealth, you must be doing something right. therefore, this Shuin, you go to heaven. That's why they were astonished, because if this young man cannot make it to heaven, who followed all these rules, who then can be saved? Jesus answered and looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter, Peter, the selfish Peter, in verse 27 he said, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you, What then will be there for us? What's in it for us? The young man went away sad because he could not do what you required him. Here we are, we left everything. What's in it for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, You, Peter, and you, the disciples, who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Pretty good, right? Jesus answered, hey, you're going to be judges with me in twelve thrones. Amazing! And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, Will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Wow! Eternal life. No more dying, no more tears, no more sadness, everything happiness. Then we come to the parable. It's framed by this. Phrase in verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So there are que- there, there, there's a couple of questions. Actually, there's only one question. The young man, the young ruler, asked it first. The disciples then asked it, and then Peter. Who will be saved? Who will get eternal life? Us that followed you and dropped everything, what will we get? Jesus was pretty clear, right? You're going to get eternal life, plus you're going to sit on thrones. Some of the others will get 100 times whatever they have. Great! But see, Jesus knew their heart. And he illustrates... His answer with this. So let's go on. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Some verse, some, some Bible verses says, master of the house, who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A denarius is equivalent to a day's work and a day's food. During those times, if you don't work that day, you don't have food the next day. You don't have a living. Starve. And it's a custom in Jerusalem that the workers... And you know what? When, I, when Here in California, I think it's the same. We see people standing out there, aren't they? They're waiting for work, because the next day, if they don't have work today, no food, no life. So, one denarius for the day. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Now, it's curious that, that this verse didn't say one denarius. while well, the next few verses also, it's assumed that it's one denarius. Because it said, he went out on um, verse 5, so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. But in this verse, it says, I will pay you whatever is right. The reason, if you look at all the other uh, translations, it says whatever is right. This is a foreshadowing of what happens at the end of the parable. He went again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. Verse 6, about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? The man answered in verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going to the first. Verse 9, The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and received, each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they receive it, they began to grumble against the landowner. This is kind of unfair, isn't it? I mean, in today, I mean, especially with unions, right? If you work 1 hour you get paid actually 2 or 4 hours. If you work 8 hours you get paid 8 hours. If you work 12 hours you get 8 hours and then 4 hours of overtime. Who would work for the same pay if you work 1 hour, 8 hours or 12 hours? Nobody. So of course the workers grumbled. Some people, some versus some Bible translation said they complained. Then the landowner, in verse 13, he answered one of them Friend, am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last, same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then the parable ends with, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. So, a few observations on this parable. Number one, there is a question. It was asked by the young ruler, by Peter, and then by the disciples. The question is, who will be saved? Who will have the reward, eternal life? The question even goes deeper because of the case study a man assumed to be saved, Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel going through a needle's eye. So what does Jesus mean? The other observation here is that when Jesus, when the landowner went out and hired people, I look at this and say, oh, hey, there's a contract, right? The offer was, you work for me? I give you a denarius. Was there an acceptance? Yes, absolutely, they work. It's a contract. There was a valid offer, there was acceptance. They performed the duty, they got paid. One denarius. But to the people who work, they said, but it's not a fair contract. Because the people that work one hour, and we were, they said, as they were saying, we toiled in the heat, and it looks like they worked for 12 hours, they got paid one denarius in the same. So essentially, they are saying, you are unfair, landowner. You swindled us, right? You made us work 12 hours, and you still paid us the same. Well, the interpretation is, some scholars say, well, if the one denarius represents eternal life, Can you add or subtract from that? But they still grumble. You know, grumbling is a negative connotation in the Bible, right? It's saying, I think you did me wrong. You wronged me. But then what did the landowner say? In verse 13, he said, Friend, he didn't say, You're my workers, you're contractually obligated to work for me. You accepted the offer, and di yadda, yadda, yadda. He said, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for one denarius? And then the kicker of this whole thing, don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Is it the landowner's right to pay whatever he wants, despite whatever contract there is? He can pay the minimum, one denarius, but he said, it's mine. You don't own it. I own the money. You're accusing me of what? Favoritism? Of unfair, unjust? But you accept it. But see, the landowner didn't call them enemies, he called them friend. He didn't even go and say, you're the opposing party to this contract. My opposition, he could have called them, but he said, friend. Do, don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? And then he turns it around. Or are you envious? because I am generous. So the parable stands as is, and then the disciples are going, what does he mean by that? He just told us that we're going to sit on 12 thrones, others are going to get, we're all going to get eternal life. So obviously they're thinking, there must be a hierarchy, There's God, there's the angels, there's us, the 12 of us. And then there's people below us. We're the judges high up, right? So the second case study starts in Matthew 20, verse 20, all the way to 28. So remember who the audience was. This was Jesus talking with his disciples after the young man rejected Jesus. The disciples are us. In the parable, the laborers are us. Isn't it human nature, though? that if the reward is greater than we judge, then the value of the goods or the services that we've provided is greater than what we provided. And then we see it, we look and say, it's unfair. How come he or she, they just converted a minute ago, they inherit eternal life? That's not fair, right? I mean, last week they talked about the two, the, the prodigal son, remember? He said, I want my inheritance. He goes off, squanders his money, comes back, and what does the father do? No questions asked. So the, the, the case, the situation that arises was the mother of the two disciples, um, Mrs. Zebedee, came to Jesus with her, with her sons, this is in verse 20, and kneeling down, she knelt, and she says, in verse 21, Jesus asked, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Remember, Jesus just said there's going to be 12 thrones, right? But she's kneeling and saying, Hey, can you make my son a little bit more elevated? One in the right hand, one in the left hand. Of course, the setting of the story in, in terms of the timing, this is the time when Jesus was nearing his mission of three and a half years. He is looking to the cross at this point. He knows what's going to come next. So Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Remember that Jesus on the other end said, this cup, dear father, make it pass. It's the horrible cup he's about to drink. Then in verse 23 Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my, from my cup, but to sit at my right." Or left is not me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they are prepared by my Father. Of course, when the ten other disciples heard this, what do you think they they reacted? My Bible said they were indignant, angry, furious with the two brothers. And then the punchline of the story. In verse 25, Jesus begins to explain what he means by the first will be last and the last will be first in the parable. We know who the characters are in the parable, but the point of the story is this. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Verse 26, Not so with you, referring to the disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. You want to be first in the kingdom of heaven? Love's merit system? Some of the verses in the Bible, in fact, you have to be slaves to your slave. You have to be, we have to be the lowest. These are not celebrities or high-powered people or athletes. They are unrecognized. In fact, they are rejected. Who wants to be a servant of servants? But Jesus He points this out, that the Son of Man came to serve, the first will be last. And he'll put everybody else first, the last, to the point of giving his life to save us all. The point of the parable was what? God is extremely beyond words, profoundly generous. Because as it says in the famous verse that everybody knows, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, not just any giving, he gave himself. Not just giving himself, but to die. A death that you and I deserve. In the Garden of Eden, we broke the relationship of the family. When Adam and Eve obeyed the serpent rather than God, the human family, God's family, was broken. And I could just imagine when that happened, that event happened, the three beings in the Godhead said, Jesus, you have to die. The angels probably heard this. See, before that event, I could imagine, right? The angels, before sin came to the world, the angels had no idea what sin was. They probably, you know, when Lucifer came and said, I want to be this, to be higher, to be, to sit on the throne. They didn't know that that was sin, right? They believed Satan, in fact, a third of them, right? As the Bible says, a third of the angels followed. They were the grumblers, the complainers. They were jealous. Satan was jealous of Jesus. He wanted to be just like Jesus. He wanted to be God, right? In ourselves, our nature, we want to be what? More, better, higher, faster, stronger, richer, more famous. That, my brothers and sisters, is the world's merit system. Jesus said, I came to serve. And God, it is his right to give the reward to those, to those who follow me. The other observations, it's, it's amazing, this story, you know, it has so much layers in it. In the beginning, God was the one that seeks out the workers. Did you catch that? He went out early in the morning and the humans were just standing there. They were waiting. God came to them and all they had to do was accept one denarius, eternal life. But that wasn't good enough for some of them. But it is in human nature. That we're envious of something that others, we think, is more valuable than what we get. We see it, we covet it, and if we can't get it, we get jealous. But Jesus said, that is not for you. In the kingdom of heaven, you want to be first. You have to be last. And it means, it means giving your life in my name, which we know in history, Peter and John, all those apostles, they did give their life. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous lesson, this parable. God gave. And when he gives, he gives generously. And the gift that he gives has infinite value. And he called us friend instead of enemies. This is my prayer for everyone. Jesus said, if we have a little faith, we can move mountains. A little generosity from us, a little bit more giving, a little bit more sacrifice. That is what it is to follow Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the time and the opportunity to study your word. May we take the lessons that Jesus himself taught here on earth about what it is that your kingdom is all about. It's a kingdom of being selfless, of living for others, of giving. We thank you that you gave Jesus, your son, to us as a living sacrifice. He died our death, so that we will have eternal life. Bless everyone here as they go home. Keep us safe until we come back again next Sabbath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.